Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Jennifer Dagarat. And first of all, before I go any further, did I butcher your last name or did I say it pretty close? No, you're pretty close, Dagarag. Dagarag, all right. And Jennifer is a nurse who is involved in ministry to those who are grieving with COVID. Amongst other things, but lately, that's been your primary function. Is that correct? Yes. So first of all, before we go any further, I want to say welcome, Jennifer, and thank you for coming on to the show. And then if you would be so kind as to open us with a word of prayer, I think all of us would be appreciative. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rick, for having me today. One of my favorite prayers is the Hail Mary. Mary is a true example for us. She's an example of what it means to say yes to God and to trust him in all circumstances. In her ministry as the mother of Jesus, she experienced all human emotion from the highest of the highs to the lowest of the lows, including being present during the death of her son. She's an example to us always for how to have faith and trust in our Lord, no matter our circumstances. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jennifer is a nurse, and you're an RN? Yes, I am an RN, and I am a faith community nurse, which means that I am a nurse who just works for the church. So let me get this straight. You're at St. Irenaeus Parish here in the Diocese of Orange, Mm -hmm. and you're hired by the parish to be a nurse for the parish. So it's not all that often that I hear of nurses being hired by the parish. I hear of volunteers, nurses that will come in to do clinics and things from time to time, Mm -hmm. blood pressure checks and things like that for the elderly. I've heard of that a lot. And I know that we have uh, up in the Diocese of San Bernardino uh, a mobile free clinic that goes around, so they have volunteers that come in and do that. That's not what you do. You do something very different. Describe your ministry a little bit. Okay. So faith community nursing um, has been around for a while, and there are a lot of registered nurses who do volunteer their time at their parishes. For me, I have moved into this as a permanent position at the church. And this was brought to my attention three years ago by a faith community nurse who was working as a volunteer in our parish. And Hogue Hospital of Newport Beach has a health ministries outreach program. And they wanted to partner with St. Irenaeus to kind of really place a faith community nurse at our parish. And there was more travel between us and Hogue that was involved and some extra responsibilities associated with that. 
And she didn't want to take that on in her retirement. And so she came and asked me if I would be interested. And here we are. So (laughs) Hogue very much supports us. We have a covenant with the church and they provide our flu vaccines every year. They provided an AED for the parish. They, well, AED is the, the automatic external defibrillator. Okay, so it's what shocks you if you have a heart attack. Yes, okay. part of our first aid program. And they also support all faith community nurses throughout Orange County, whether volunteer or paid, working at churches of all denomination. Uh, we have a nurses retreat once a year, a spirituality conference once a year. And then we meet on a monthly basis for networking and for a continuing education component that helps us to stay very current in our practice. So especially during this time of the pandemic, they've been keeping us more updated on items relevant to spread of COVID, what our numbers are, helping us to educate our congregation about how to stop the spread, um, increased information about the upcoming vaccine and educational materials to support our parishes. We've been talking a lot more about grief I'll actually be speaking to all of our faith community nurses coming up in March about the grief share program that we're using at St. Irenaeus. So a faith community nurse, really, if I can describe it the best, I feel like I work more in a case management role, but also have the ability to do hands-on care with our individual parishioners. And the main goal is to bridge the spirituality and the strength of our faith traditions with healing and to go out with people who are having a medical crisis. And while I'm helping them navigate the healthcare system and meet their needs, I am also praying with them and helping them use Jesus and Mary and our Catholic faith tradition as their strength in healing. Um, There's been several times where I have gone out to see someone who has not been able to receive sacraments because of their illness. And so I helped to coordinate um, a pastoral visit for them and bring a priest into the home. I've done several joint visits with priests where they're asking for sacraments and Father calls them to set it up and says, I think there's more going on here, Jennifer. Can you come out with me? And he will um, deliver the sacraments and confidentiality. And then I will stay and assess their medical status and hook them up with resources and connect them in the community with what they need. Wow. That sounds like a huge job. How many nurses like you are there in the diocese? Do you have any idea? I believe there are seven or eight of us working in a variety of paid and volunteer roles. Are they spread throughout? Are they clustered? Or do you all get together? How does that work? So we are spread out. I know that Hogue has a nurse. There's myself at St. Irenaeus. There's one at St. Boniface in Anaheim. And there is one uh, part-time at St. Joachim. I know... And where are these located? Your Irenaeus is located where? We are in Cyprus. Okay, Cyprus, in, Anaheim, and Joachim is where? Uh, Santa Ana Santa on the Anna. Newport border. Okay, so most of these so far in, are in North County. Yes, I do know, I believe there's a volunteer at St. Killian's in Mission Viejo, and we had all planned to get together and really combine forces, and then the pandemic hit. So, (laughs) The great disruptor. The great disruptor, yes. 
So hopefully we can really get together in the future. And the point is also to share our resources. And, you know, for me, I know uh, Lucy Dale was at St. Boniface and was fluent in Spanish, which I am not. So we kind of combined forces so that when she's offering things in Spanish, I can refer, you know, to her and vice versa. And so making those relationships so that we can better serve our communities is fantastic. That is fantastic. And it's it's quite a blessing to have during this time, I, I would assume. This is therefore a very difficult time, I would think, to be in your position. In a way, a very important time. And mm-hmm. therefore, on, on one hand, a blessing for you to be able to do that. But a very difficult time. You've got a lot that's going on and in very complicated ways. Because from what I understand about your role, your your role is not just to assess the the medical status of parishioners that you encounter. It's to help also look at the emotional mm-hmm. component of it. And I would presume that the complications of that right now are tremendous. Yes, we are seeing definitely more of an emotional component. Yet what we all have in common is our faith. And, you know, one thing that we are called to in this pandemic is sacrificial love. And one of our deacons asked me recently, what did I think was the biggest turning point in the pandemic? And although I think there are many medical marvels that are coming out of this, we have our frontline healthcare workers, we have learned so much, you know, about viruses, this illness and others through research. And now with the vaccine, there's been some medical marvels However, I always think what is Jesus trying to teach us through this every day? And I think the turning point has been and will continue to be when we have sacrificial love for each other, when we truly live our call to love our neighbor even more than ourselves, because that's what God does call us to do. Well, and it, it strikes me a little it strikes me more than a little bit that there's only seven of you, as you mentioned, give or take, that in a diocese this large, one of the great ministries that Jesus had was healing. Uh, I mean, we I, I can think of the great example of the woman with the hemorrhage who sneaks up on him essentially to touch him. And she's not healed until she actually touches him. She has faith to get there. But then he feels it leave him almost like an electrical current going through. And it's an important ministry for him. It's clearly an important ministry for him to bring physical healing as a sign of spiritual healing. That has to be overwhelming to you both that you have the opportunity to bring that ministry in a very practical way and a frustration that it's not being done universally. How do you feel about your your call here? Is it is it with mixed emotions that you approach it, or is it just with pure thanksgiving that you have that opportunity? I think it's almost with pure thanksgiving that I have that opportunity. I never thought of myself in this role. I never envisioned when I started uh, one day sitting here on the Orange County Catholic Radio talking <laughs> about my position. So it definitely has even more so proven to me that having that open heart for what God calls you to do 
and saying yes, even when called to something outside of your comfort zone, brings its rewards. And that is our job in faith. And I just work every day to be open to what God calls me. And people who work with me know that every day, you know, we come to work and we have our plan of how our day is going to go. And as I walk up the back door to my office, some days I can almost hear God chuckling and saying, you have no (laughs) idea what is in store for you today. And so having that openness to just be where you are called in the moment, that's what he asks of us. You want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. Yes. We're talking to Jennifer Dagarak, who is a registered nurse who is employed by the parish of uh, St. Irenaeus in Cyprus, here in the Diocese of Orange. And as a nurse, she ministers, as Jesus did in the healing part of ministry, and she now finds herself in the middle of the pandemic. And when we come back, I want to talk with her a little bit about what that has meant and how that has kind of changed, because uh, you were hired long before this uh, pandemic. So when we come back, I'm going to talk about how this has changed what you do and how you've risen to meet it. We're talking to Jennifer Dagarag here at Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howard, your host, and we will be right back. Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Jennifer Dagarak, who is a registered nurse here in the Diocese of Orange at St. Irenaeus Parish. And she was hired long before the pandemic, but she finds herself now as one of only a few nurses in the diocese that are hired spread throughout the diocese, but nevertheless trying to be kind of the tip of a spear to lead the healing ministry in the middle of a pandemic. So <laughs> welcome to the, the boiling pot of water here. I don't have any easy way to ask it. How has this changed your life and changed your ministry having to deal with the pandemic? It's definitely changed things. My husband and I are both nurses. So myself now only working at St. Irenaeus Parish, and then my husband is working in the hospital um, as a frontline worker. So we've definitely seen both sides of the pandemic and the seriousness of it. Have you been inoculated yet? Yes. My husband's received both of his vaccines, and I am due to receive my second dose tomorrow. We just got my 85-year-old mother her first dose on Monday. So that was hard to get in. Oh, my goodness, it was hard to get in. Yes. So you've got lots and lots of exposures. I mean, even with this, did you have the the Pfizer or did you have the Moderna or what was your... My husband received Pfizer. I received Moderna. Okay. And they both work the same way with equal efficacy. My understanding is that they don't know yet how long the, the effectiveness will last beyond a few months to a a year or two, it's likely that they're going to have to revisit how they administer this. We're going to have to have not only this round of shots, but probably more shots throughout our lifetime. It may be a situation where it requires a booster yearly, like the flu shot. Um, We'll have to wait and see. 
They have the initial people who've been in the clinical trials who they are continuing to follow. Uh, But the ultimate goal with the vaccine is that um, it is going to those who may become infected with vaccination will be more like a common cold and it will not progress to the serious illness and the intensive care required that we are seeing now. Um, And so also with if we can get the variants under control and have the vaccine cover that, we will be in an even better position. So your husband having had both his shots, so he's now covered. Mm -hmm. And has that been now a couple of weeks? I understand it it could take a few days to a couple of weeks for Mm -hmm. it to be fully strengthened in your system, however you call that. Mm -hmm. The incubation period or whatever, Mm -hmm. that's that's for the disease itself. So I don't know what you call that. but It takes about two weeks um, on average once you receive a vaccine because your body is mounting that immune response and the memory. So we always encourage people with any vaccine that it is going to take your body a little bit of time to make immunity. And that's also why the side effects after you get a vaccine, although can be troublesome, um, because especially with the second vaccine, we're seeing more side effects, increased fatigue, muscle aches, kind of like a mild flu for a couple of days, is showing you that it is working Um, Because once we have introduced the first dose, your body is remembering. And so it is mounting a higher response to that second dose. And so people consider that very bothersome and troublesome, but it is actually a good thing. And the recommendation is not to take a Tylenol or Motrin or anything to prevent those side effects before you're vaccinated, but to let your body ramp up that response. And then if you know, to if take a Tylenol or something to take it later. Okay. Mm-hmm. So my mother who has had so far, knock on wood and praise be to Jesus, only a sore arm from mm-hmm. this so far, but her second shot, she may see some of the symptoms they warned her about then yes. if she hasn't so far. Okay. Yes. But they still should be fairly mild. Yes. So you're breathing a sigh of relief. I assume that your husband has had that since he's a frontline worker. Mm-hmm. You've had yours, so he's yes. probably beginning to breathe again too. Yes. <laughs> so, how has this affected you? This you're having to deal with ministry to people who are both sick and those who are grieving for those who either are sick or who have passed on. Mm-hmm. How does that affect you? Um, I think. I'm grateful to be in this position, and I am grateful to have my hospital experience coming from an intensive care background because it helps me to really relate to what people are going through um, because I have seen it and lived it on that side uh, as a nurse. And there are many people grieving the loss of COVID, and it's complicated grief in the fact that because of the restrictions with COVID and the high chance of spread, we haven't had visitors at the hospital. So those who lost loved ones several months ago were never able to see them in person again once they dropped them off at the hospital, which is very difficult. Um, And some people who have lost relatives more recently got to see their relative when they dropped them off, maybe on FaceTime, but then only as they passed away. So the changes to them and not 
going in to know that you're just saying goodbye is very difficult. So I, I, I want to come back to that because the, the, the difficulties that the people are having mm-hmm. is tremendous. I still want to go back and ask you about you because this is a ministry that, that um, is now dealing with a lot of death and grief. Mm-hmm. And I assume when you took on this role, you knew that there would be some of that. But this would be primarily a happy role of trying to empower people toward healing. How has that affected you? Your your ministry role has changed somewhat. Has it impacted you, or is this something that you're just simply taking in stride? Uh, it has impacted me, and in my years of you know working in the hospital, being in ICU care, I did work with you know families who were losing loved ones, and I did think what happens to them next? We send them home. They don't have their loved one. How does this change their life? Like, where do they go from here? That's always been something I've, I've thought about and prayed for, for these families. So through the grace of God, I've been put in a position where I am now the person that they go to after they have lost someone. And I, never thought of myself as somebody who would be called to grief ministry. But in my experience with it through becoming a faith community nurse, I've actually found it to be a great blessing because we have people who join our ministry and come to us because they feel so broken and hopeless and they heal and we see changes in them, both large and small, as they rely on God's comfort during their healing. And as we go on their individual journey of grief, and that is beautiful. And it's beautiful to see and to be a part of. See, this is something that I, I think you have a great blessing that a lot of nurses don't have. My mom was an RN. My mom worked in ICU. Um, her training was always that you, you're supposed to do your best to remain above it emotionally. Mm-hmm. You can't entirely, but you're supposed to try. And she said she never really could. So she even got to a point where she, on her way driving home from Dowdy Community Hospital, she'd have her little tape recorder on, and she would just speak into it. She'd erase the tape when she'd get home, but it was a way of self-therapy. To talk about the the 17-year-old on the motorcycle who crashed and is now in, in life critical, and she's got sons. Mm-hmm. And so nurses care, but most of them are not encouraged to demonstrate it to the people that are around them. Mm-hmm. You have a unique opportunity in your ministry to live the opposite, to be able to demonstrate your caring, which... All nurses, I think, pretty much want to be able to do. It just it strikes me that your ministry is one that allows you to do something that so many other nurses are not allowed to do. You follow what I, what I mean by that? I do. And there's been um, more changes in healthcare uh, where we're talking more about self compassion and helping nurses, especially with dealing with the increased amount of death that we are seeing now. And even before I had left the hospital setting, our hospital had instituted a sacred pause 
when someone passed that everyone involved in that room, family, nursing, physicians, whoever was there, would just take like five minutes in silence to reflect that that life was lost because it is something that nurses carry with them because we are human and because we are called to a healthcare um, as a vocation, not just a yeah. profession. And you, you can't go into this without having a genuine desire to help people. Yes. And that also or, or it will drain you. <laughs> it will. And being able to show and share emotion, not to the point where the family feels they have to support us, but genuine, honest emotion when we lose someone's loved one, it helps people relate to us and to know that we really do care. And that is empathy, that it isn't just a job for us, but we realize that someone that they love very much passed away. And I think faith is a big part of that, that losing your patient in the hospital, despite all your efforts, is not a personal failure. It is that God has called them home in that time and in that place for whatever reason, and it just may not be our time to understand why. Do you do much ministry with other nurses and doctors and health care providers and first responders who are in need of prayer or healing because they're just dealing with this much death? I do not personally, but I know that we have excellent hospital chaplains um, that do work with the staff and provide opportunities uh, for debriefing. I know that uh, NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness in Orange County, also is hosting a monthly frontline worker like debriefing sessions where you can come and share your experiences in a safe, confidential group. Um, knowing that there is a lot of stress and that it does take an emotional toll and then, if needed, be provided with services. But many times we just need to talk with people who understand the position that we're in. So for me, having a husband as a nurse, we don't always talk shop. But when I do have a rough case or he has a rough case, we have that built-in support system because we do truly understand each other in that respect. Wow. We are talking with Jennifer Dagrag, who is a nurse who works for the parish of St. Irenaeus here in the Diocese of Orange. And she is a faith community nurse who renders assistance and care and spiritual and physical help to all the people who are suffering physically. And that we were talking about just now can be both overwhelming and fulfilling at the same time. When we come back, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about what you're actually seeing in the field, why this particular pandemic has been so hard to minister to. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Jennifer Dagra, who is the faith community nurse for Irenaeus Parish, St. Irenaeus Parish, here in Cyprus in the Diocese of Orange. 
And we don't have that many uh, faith community nurses. We've got about seven. Some are paid like you are. Some are volunteer. So some are full-time, some are part-time. And so you've got a lot of work you're doing under normal circumstances. And we're not under normal circumstances. In fact, we were talking uh, during the break and prior to the show about some of the unique characteristics about this time and how grieving during this time and working through having a loved one who is both sick or sadly dying or or has passed, how that grief process is changed for a lot of people during this time. Talk about that a little bit, about what some of the, the special characteristics you're seeing. Because I know a lot of people are thinking, though, especially those who have not had a loved one pass away, oh, yeah, it's really sad that this is happening, but they're probably not aware unless they've gone through it. The differences that are taking place now that are very, very real, up close and in-your-face personal Mm -hmm. for those who are going through it. Yes, there are several um, things in the time of COVID that are complicating grief for people. I think the main one is not being able to be with their loved one if they are hospitalized, especially those who are in intensive care and who pass away. Uh, It may have been over a month or longer since they last saw their loved one. And they don't get the opportunity to say goodbye in the way that they had thought that they would. So we have people that, I've heard the stories of the the spouse not feeling well, their, their spouse has to drop them off at the emergency room because they're not allowed to go in other than to take you to the door. And they're not realizing this is the last time I'm going to see them for weeks and weeks and sometimes forever. Yes. That's something that a lot of people are not prepared for. They are not. Uh, The hope, you know, the beauty of our faith is that we have hope and they're always hopeful that their loved one is going to get better and that they are going to come home. And when that doesn't happen and they hear that they have passed away, it's devastating, and they struggle with that they never got to say goodbye. Um, I had one woman who lost her husband express that she did not get to be the wife that she wanted to be had her husband ever been sick. I didn't get to provide that hands-on care. I didn't oh, wow. get to... That's a whole other way of looking at it, too. Right. I didn't get to be with him in those moments. We take our marriage vows for better or for worse in sickness and in health. And I feel like when he was really sick, I wasn't there for him. This reminds me a little bit of uh, what John Paul II talked about in Misericordia, about how those who are suffering, those who are dying, one of the reasons why we don't believe in euthanasia is not just because you may benefit from those last moments of confronting God in your illness, but you're also denying other people the privilege of being able to care for you and the growth, spiritual growth that that can bring in other people. We deny them. And these people have been denied that. These spouses are being denied the ability to care for their loved ones. And Mm -hmm. it's not just about, I'm going to miss my husband. or I'm going to miss my wife. I wasn't able to be there and care. Absolutely. Um, I wasn't able to be there in the way that I wanted to. Um, it's affecting children who could not care for their parents. My 
mother or father was in a long-term care facility and I could never visit them anymore. Our priests are still uh, going in properly protected um, with personal protective equipment to provide sacraments and anointing of the sick. Which is wonderful. Which is wonderful, but oftentimes the family is not able to be there and to share in that moment. The marriage is a sacrament, too. It is. And it's just very difficult for people, I think, part of it to comprehend the loss when you were not there to walk that walk at the end. And another thing that I hear from people is that they are so devastated by the fact that their loved one died alone or without family. So one thing I brought to share today... How do you handle that? (laughs) So one thing I brought to share today was that there was a article that was published through San, uh, franciscanmedia.org, and it was posted by Sister Margaret uh, Carney, and it says, He died alone. We were not with her. These lamentations are heard daily as people recount the most bitter experience of losing a loved one to COVID-19. This cry from the heart expresses the deep suffering the crisis creates. But dare we ask the question, did they really die alone? Do we not say when we pray the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the communion of saints? What does that expression mean? Is it just a bit of ancient poetry preserved in the amber of our prayed formulas over the centuries? In the biography of St. Clair of Assisi, we read a powerful description of the vigil preceding her death. As her end approaches, she speaks words of confidence and says to one of the sisters keeping watch, Do you see, O child, the King of glory whom I see? And behold, a multitude of virgins in white garment entered, all of whom wore gold garlands on their heads. One more splendid than the others walked among them, and from her crown such a splendor came forth that it turned the night within the house into daylight. She moved towards the bed, and bending over her most lovingly gave her a most tender embrace. Here we have a testimony that Claire, at the hour of her death, was surrounded by holy women who were already in the communion of saints and that the queen of heaven herself was with them. Do we think such deathbed favors are only for saints? Can we take some comfort in the hope that our loved ones also experience this final act of favor, a presence from beyond that brings assistance to cross that mysterious threshold? The Irish believe in the reality of what they call thin places, places where the veil between earth and heaven is so porous that we may experience the other side clearly. The moment of death is the ultimate thin place. There, beyond our ability to see or to imagine, those whom we love and honor, who have gone before us in faith, move toward us in joyful welcome. These countless COVID-19 victims were not alone. In that final hour, the veil fell away, and they moved forward, surrounded by ancestors of their family and of their faith. God has wiped away 
their tears, can this faith also help to dry ours? That was a beautiful meditation on why we should at least believe that our loved ones may not have died alone from from at least their perspective. And so on that level, that kind of thing seems to help. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't take away from the fact that the loved one, the spouse, was not able to be there. And there is a catharsis that's that's engendered by walking someone through the process, isn't there? There absolutely is. And, you know, in these situations, we we have to turn to our God. We have to turn to Jesus for the healing that we need. And in Grief Share, we spend a whole session talking about why. Why my loved one? Why now? Why is this their time? And ultimately, what we learn in that session is that even if, God sat us down and explained all the reasons why it wouldn't be enough because in the end we would still be hurting and not wanting to accept that why because it's our loved one that we lost. And so what we can do is we can turn to him with our pain. We can unite it with his suffering on the cross and seek support. Well, and I, I, I want to go into, in our, in our next segment, some of the practical applications, how we can really help ourselves and help the people around us we know who are grieving. But there's still some things that, that, are, that are unique to this, mm-hmm. that are different. It reminds me a little bit of warfare. We were talking about this during the break, that mm-hmm. in the if you have a war going on, it's constantly in the news. It's always before your face. That's kind of like COVID. Mm-hmm. I, I hate to say it, but it, at least if someone dies of a heart attack or if someone was, God forbid, murdered or there was an accident, at a certain point, you can kind of take a break from it. And I, I use that term loosely because the grieving when it's that close and that personal and that new, it's, you can never really break away from it. But you don't have it in your face all the time. Mm-hmm. Whereas in warfare, you do, mm-hmm. especially if it's a controversial war like what Vietnam turned out to be. And in this case, we've got people who are fighting this in ways that they, they don't. There are people who are not wanting to take vaccines. There are people not wanting to wear the mask. There are people not wanting to cooperate in ways that are that are positive, even if they don't think that they themselves are going to get it. And that's got to be irritating and in your face and constantly ripping the scar, the scab open, so to speak, mm-hmm. for those who lose a loved one. It is because it is constantly being brought up and constantly on the forefront. So even as they heal and move on, there is that constant reminder. It also can be difficult for them, even now that, you know, we have a vaccine, how come I, I wish my loved one could have held on a little bit longer? Yeah. This won't affect other people, but it affected me. Yeah. And it being in the news is definitely something that can hinder healing. And it reminds me the same with 9-11. Um, my family lost a loved one in 9-11. And that was very difficult because it was always on the news. 
you know, they were watching the tower fall if their loved one was in there and seeing that image replayed over and over again. And then it's something we talk about on an annual basis because it's part of history. And so that is very difficult for loved ones. Wow. We're talking with Jennifer Dagarag, and we have been going well below the surface to talk a little deeply about how this has affected her, how this has affected the people around her, the people she cares for, the people she ministers to. When we come back, I want to try to explore with you, Jennifer, a, a little more practically what we can do to both prepare ourselves and our loved ones and to respond perhaps better to the calling that Christ gives us to bring his love to the people who are grieving around us. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today has been and continues to be Jennifer Dagarog. And before we go any further, I want to thank you, Jennifer, for taking time out of your schedule. We'd originally scheduled this a couple of days ago to actually record, and you had another crisis that came up that had to deal with. We'll keep it confidential, but that's kind of what happens to you all the time, isn't it? And so thank you very, very much for taking your time to come in here and talk to all of our listeners. We have a number of people who are listening who some are are in the hospital listening to the radio as we speak. Some are at home with people in the hospital. And some know of people who are in there. And this, I think, has been very powerful food for thought, uh, what your experience has been with this, both personally and professionally, from a minister's perspective, how this is affecting people. And how do we best prepare ourselves and the people around us to deal with this? Because we're not done yet. We, we've got uh, some people that are being inoculated, and other people who've already recovered are likely to have some immunity to it. But we're not out of the woods yet. We've got months and months and months before all of us get inoculated. So we're still going to be going through grief. I mean, I... I'm familiar with one person who on Sunday was talking to somebody and that person found out two days later that he'd gone into the hospital and very quickly died. This thing can go very quickly and sometimes it goes on for months. So we still are having this going. How can we prepare to confront the issues of this particular kind of grief? So this particular time uh, type of grief, it does come on suddenly. Also, what is contributing to it is the safety guidelines in place to prevent the spread of COVID. Also, prevent people from maybe seeking the normal support that they would normally have. Uh, Friends that would take them out to eat or bring them food are not maybe able to do so at this time. Uh, What's also complicating grief is that it's changing our Catholic burial rites, when we can have a funeral, um, how many people can be in attendance. There are people now, because of the number of deaths in Orange County, that there is going to be a delay before you can have your loved one buried just because the system is literally backlogged. Um, And so people are like, okay, I want to bury my loved one, 
but I can't because my loved one actually isn't ready. And so that prevents that closure of having that sacrament be completed. So the best thing we can do is just be a listening presence to someone who has suffered any loss, but especially a loss from COVID. Um, When we provide grief support, uh, St. Irenaeus uses the program Grief Share, which has been very well received because we watch a video each time. We have group discussion and each participant also has a workbook which provides exercises that they can choose to do or not do just at their own healing pace with biblical reflection and scripture and prayer to help them to turn to God and have some practical resources for understanding the process that they're going through and just non-judgmental listening. We cannot fix someone's grief. All we can do is be there for them and listen to what they're going through. Um, There's many different aspects of grief that people don't realize are associated with grieving, such as anger, forgetfulness. You know, we've had people that we've ministered to in grief support who are older, and once they have lost their spouse, they feel like all of a sudden they've become really forgetful and they start to worry about like, oh my gosh, is this early Alzheimer's Alzheimer's disease? Um, Is something wrong with me? And understanding that that in itself can be a normal part of grief. Um, And all of those things help that grieving person to also exercise self-compassion for themselves. Because as humans, we all expect superpowers from ourselves. And we don't stop and give ourselves the same self-compassion that we would give to others. So often what we talk about, especially in our early sessions, is if your best friend came to you and was grieving the loss of their spouse, what would you tell them? And can you tell that to yourself? Because you would never expect them to be able to do all that you are expecting of yourself right now. It's interesting because if you asked me that question, I would not have an answer beyond, as you put to listen, and to just be present, to be a steady presence. Most people who are grieving, my understanding anyway, most people who are grieving, they they want to be able to tell their story. They -hmm. want to be able to to share and be heard. They, They don't want someone to give advice or fix it so much as they just want that someone to care enough to be there be a presence that's hard when you can't be present because physically we've got masks between us and yes and locations and zoom instead of that's so hard and our grief support group was meeting in person prior to the pandemic and when the pandemic hit you know i was those who know me know that technology has been a learning curve for me But I was very committed and I talked to our pastor and I said, I really think, I believe we have to take this to Zoom, even if we stumble along the way, because more people are grieving, it's going to be more complicated. And I feel like we have an obligation to provide this. And what I've actually seen is that people are coming by Zoom from farther away to find a Catholic 
grief support group wow. where they would not have been able to join in person because it's an hour from their home, yeah. but they do join us by Zoom. And even though we know it is not the same, we still gather in a confidential, safe place to share our stories and to share them over and over again. And I tell people, especially those spouses and and children, I say, you are married for 14 years, 55 years, you know, 62 years. Three months is nothing in comparison to that. And so grief does take time. And if it takes you telling your story for a year or longer, we're here for you. That's the other thing is that there are, are well, one of the problems that a lot of people have who are going through grief, there's a lot of people eager to help the first month. Mm-hmm. The third month, not so many, but you're still telling the story because it still hurts. Yes. And that is one of the things we talk about in Grief Share also is that it seems like the rest of the world just picked up and went on. And you are having trouble doing that because that person that has always been there for you is not there to help you pick up and move on. And so something we see in grief support also is that, well, I lost my father and I feel like I did really well. And my mom died and I did really well. And I got through it. Now I lost my husband and I'm just falling apart. Now I miss like my mom and my dad more. And they said, because your husband or your wife, whoever it was, right, helped you when you lost your mother and your father. And now you've lost that person that would have been your go-to to support you during this loss. Your supplement. <laughs> and so it's okay that you're feeling a little bit more lost. And there's many times where people just aren't able to put words to that. And once you can help them piece together their story through just listening, they're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't realize that. If people wanted to find a resource, what would you recommend? I love Grief Share. You can go to their website. It's www.griefshareoneword.org. And you can look on their tab for find a group. And you can find a church near you that is hosting a group. Uh, What's what's that website again? www.griefshare.org. All right. You can also sign up for Daily Reflections. They have videos, book recommendations, just a wealth of information on their site. That's fantastic. Jennifer Dagarag, I want to thank you again very much for coming in and sharing with us your ministry And being so open and candid about how this has impacted you and what you've seen in the impact on other people, I believe it's been very heart-opening, if not eye-opening, for a number of our listeners. If you'd be so kind as to lead us in a word of prayer for all of those who are touched by this, that would be very appreciated. Happy to, and thank you so much for having me here today. So as we close in prayer, I would like to reflect on Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. And I recently came across this psalm, and it really reminded me of 
mindfulness and how to rest in the comfort of Jesus. And Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3 reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, as we reflect on Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3, may we remember that we find peace and comfort not in the things of this world, but in your law on which we meditate day and night. May you help us to stand firm like a tree planted near a stream of water, yielding its fruit as we are called in its time, one that does not wither, but one that stands as an example of you in your name, through your spirit, and through the trust that we have in you. Lord Jesus, please bless all of those who are grieving the loss of a loved one right now, whether from COVID or from another ailment. May you raise their loved ones up, hold them in the palm of your hand, and bring comfort, hope, and peace to those who are brokenhearted. May they find support in your name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Father and the, the Son, Son, and of the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jennifer Dagarug, thank you very much for coming in. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio, and we have been talking about grief over COVID and the ministry of nurses who are trying to, to work with them. If you'd like to hear this again as a podcast, you can go to our website at occatholic.com and go to the radio tab, and under that you'll find OC Catholic Radio. And there you'll be able to download and listen to this podcast or give it to someone else. Again, I'm Rick Howick, your host. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.